With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And welcome back once again to, you guessed it, Frankie's Got a Big Mouth. Yeah, I do. With big guests, big ideas, and the big topics that others are afraid to talk about. My name is Frankie Garcelle, and of course you can join me each and every week talking to those people at the table, making decisions affecting you, not only in your local communities, but around the country and around the world. I'm going to introduce my guests in just a few minutes, but a couple of things I want you to do is to make sure that you join me on YouTube. And let me shout out, weekly you can join me as well on the iHeartRadio app, Real Times Media, and the Black Information Network. I'll give you more details as we move forward. Let me introduce my guest from the top. I am so excited to have on my show All once right, again. He can be heard on both the radio and on the podcast show. And of course, the radio show is national. I'm so excited to have principal attorney Shaka uh, Johnson and uh, at law in Philadelphia. Uh, here's what I found to be really interesting as well, and particularly for this topic, as we talk about uh, police brutality and the like. Attorney Shaka Johnson uh, is the principal attorney of the law offices of Chaka M. Johnson in Philadelphia. Uh, he not only uh, is recognized as a defense attorney here in Philadelphia, but also a certified narcotics expert uh, in Philadelphia as well, and has worked with the common police 10 years in law enforcement, seven years as a police officer, four years in narcotics, served as a detective as well, specializing in surveillance and undercover operations, holds a master's degree in forensic medicine, and is a certified crime scene investigator. Attorney Johnson, always good to have you on the show. Welcome to Frankie Has a Big Mouth. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. I really Very appreciate good. it. As we move forward, I want to introduce as well, he has been a military man in the United States and Navy, also a uh, former president of the United Postal Union and served as chief of staff for the Honorable Carolyn Cheeks Kilpatrick, which was responsible for bringing millions of dollars into the city of Detroit and also served uh, in that role a second time in Washington with member... Uh, as well, Brenda Lawrence. He is now the principal of DCG Strategies in Washington, D.C. Please welcome Deron Marshall. Deron, always good to have you on the show. Hello, Frankie. It's great to be here and great to uh, be here with Very you. Very good. He is the Reverend Dr. Wendell Anthony, one of the baddest orators. I could sit and listen to Reverend Anthony for hours doing a presentation 
Reverend Anthony is the pastor of Fellowship Chapel in Detroit, Michigan. He is the go-to leader in the area and around the country as it relates to issues on civil rights, equity, and inclusion uh, in the city of Detroit. Reverend Anthony joins us today as the president of the Detroit branch of the NACP. And I want to make sure I get my numbers right. This is the 16th term that you have been reelected. It is unprecedented representing your chapter, the biggest and baddest chapter in the United States of America. Please welcome Reverend Wendell Anthony to the show. Thank you, Frankie. When you said 16th term, I felt the weight of 30 years <laughs> right there in that. I had no idea it was going to be that, but I'm tremendously glad to be on your show again and be with colleagues and the struggle. Good. So and, and, and Reverend Anthony, and I must say as well, because you also, the Freedom Fund Weekend, which is one of the biggest events around the country, and the Fight right. for Freedom Fund Dinner, uh, you've right. had as many as 10,000 at your right. dinner, one of the largest sit-down dinners in the world. Are you right? And, yeah, I'm on. You know, you this year me? we're working, this is going to be a celebration of freedom because this is the 60th anniversary okay, of the March of Dr. King. When he came to Detroit in 1963 and gave his first I Have a Dream speech, and that was in June of 63, and then he went to D.C. in August. So we did the 30th, the 40th, and the 50th. This year we're doing the 60th before they take it to D.C. It's going to be Saturday, June the 25th, and then the dinner is going to be Sunday, June 26th. Everybody in America is invited. All roads lead to Detroit. June the 25th and 26th, yeah, a celebration. I'm in it. Freedom. I can see everybody still else. got some bridges to cross. Very good. And Reverend Anthony, I am going to bring with me Shaka yeah. Johnson and a guest who will be joining us in just a few minutes, Kira Bradford Gray, uh, who is amazing. I talk about Detroit all the time and just the great things that people are doing there in the city. So please make sure that you save seat for us. Absolutely. All right. Let's move forward. Reverend Anthony, I'll start with you. You wrote a piece of press again. release, but an op-ed piece as well uh, on the back of uh, the death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols. We all saw the video. I didn't want to watch it. I'm gonna come back. I didn't, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna I had to be able to have an intellectual discussion uh, and a social one as well about policing again in the United States. You said something really interesting as well, Dr. Anthony. In your in your op-ed piece, you talked about not only uh, what happened and in, in the video and policing, but you also mentioned that these were black folk. We're talking about five now. There have been seven police officers who have been five have been charged, two have been relieved of duty, and three of the fire uh, EMTs. One was a woman who was a a, a, a lieutenant. You speak very candidly, Reverend Anthony, about uh, that incident. Could you share some of your thoughts about that letter and why you wrote the letter? Well, Frankie, I, like you and so many others, uh, were heartbroken. And um, I felt the pain of not only seeing this brother beat down like he was nothing, nobody, but then to see five black police officers who were the perpetrators, who lost themselves in that situation. And when I think about all the folk that fought, died, voted, sweated, went to jail, for black folk to be in law enforcement, 
for us to be sheriffs and chiefs and officers. And we still fight the battles every day. And then to have them to do this, it was just, uh, it was just a great depression. And, and, I, and I felt compelled. My spirit would not allow me not to say something about it. And so when I thought of it, I asked myself, brothers, didn't y'all see yourself? Didn't you see yourself in this? Didn't you see your daddy, your brother, uh, your granddaddy, your uncle, your neighbor, your nephew, your son? Didn't you see yourself? At that instance, Frankie, they lost who they were. They didn't see a human being. They didn't see uh, a man. They saw an entity. But how could they not, Reverend Anthony? Very how easily. Could they not? Very easy, because it's the same reason that we don't see ourselves today. This is still reminiscent, and this is the collateral damage of enslavement, whether people want to deal with it or not. This is post-traumatic slavery. This is still a part of what W.E.B. Dubois said when he said, you see yourself through the eyes of those who despise you. The locker room conversation, the conversations that the very unit was called the scorpion unit. Scorpions kill people. They don't have any discretion about who they sting. They're designed to do one thing, to kill, to eliminate, to destroy. We have units like this all over the country. In Detroit, we had stress. Stop the robberies, enjoy safe streets. That was one of the things that propelled Coleman Young to come to office. They killed about 19 black people on the way to being eliminated. They planted weapons on them. They accused them of committing crimes when they did not. We had the big four. These were four big, big four white officers who drove around in a big black limousine wearing black trench coats telling black boys and girls, get the hell off the corner. Don't be here when I come back. Otherwise, we're going to deal with you. We had to deal with all of that. There is, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, it's not a, it's not a uh, black and white thing so much as it is a blue thing. There is a culture within policing that sees us not as individuals who deserve respect and dignity and, and opportunity to present ourselves. They see us as the enemy. We are, we are big inside. We are intimidating to them. Right. Not for, because of anything that we did, but because of something that they do. And I'll just say this, Frankie, to illustrate my point. I'm sure all of you, if not, go check it out, have seen the movie Django. D, capital D, J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. With, ja with Jamie Foxx and uh, with Samuel Jackson uh, and with uh, Leo DiCaprio. There's a scene, Frankie, in that movie. There's two plantation scenes. Let me talk about the first plantation scene. First plantation scene is when Django rides up to the front of the plantation. He's wearing a blue European kind of suit, riding a horse. Don Johnson, who's the plantation owner, says, you don't see, and I don't use the, I don't say the N-word, the N-I-G-G-R, we buried that. The N-word, he says, it's illegal for an N to be riding a horse. Don't y'all know that slaves can't ride horses? Why? Because they may try to escape. And that's too dignified. 
get off the horse. He then, Django's partner says, well, he's free. He's free. He's not like these other slaves on your plantation. Then John Johnson backs up. He asks one of his people, one of the slaves, as his partner says, show Django around the plantation. Her name was Bettina. He says, Bettina, show him around the plantation while we talk business. She says, Master, do you want me to treat him like I treat white folks? He said, no, I didn't say that. I said, show him around the plantation. Yeah. He tries to, he says, what, are you confused? She says, yes, because I only know one of two things. Black people are treated this way because of who they are, and white people are treated this way because of who they are. So she's confused. So then he says, okay, does anybody know this Peckerwood who works at the lumber yard? His mama works there. They say, yeah, what's his name? His name is Jerry. Why? Because they're considered to be poor white trash beneath his level. And so then he says, okay, do you know Jerry? Bettina, the slave girl, says, yes. He says, treat him like that. In other words, don't treat him like you treat us. Treat him even though he's free. Second or third or fourth class citizen. Now do you understand? She said, yeah, boss, I understand. We are still confused. Because many of us don't know who in the hell we are. We're going to talk what about... Police, we're going to talk... We're police, we're gonna, whatever we are. We're going to talk... Thank you, Reverend Anthony. We're going to talk about that moving forward. And I'm going to tell you, 59 minutes goes by so, so very quickly. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. But to you, that as well, the conversation the goes back to... You know, Reverend Anthony, I could listen to you all day. Um, you well, know, I'm the sorry, conversation goes up, back to... What these officers did, the behavior of black folks in the community, and then we're now having a conversation of how police officers are always, are always called out, but yet the violence in the black community is not always called out. But let me let me welcome to the show Keir Bradford Gray, a trial former trial attorney and also former uh, chief defender of the Defender Association of Philadelphia, now a partner in Montgomery, McCracken, Walker and Rose. Uh, LLP, and uh, I hope I can say this, Care, and maybe it just might be on my wish list. Hopefully, uh, the next Attorney General of the Commonwealth of the state of Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, I said it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, congratulations. It's on my wish list. It's on my wish. It's on. It's on my vision board. I'm all right with that, Frankie. I'm very much all right with that. I think Welcome that, that role has to... Shaka, Shaka, I want to come to you, former police officer, mm -hmm. investigator. You've been out there on the scenes. As we talk about this issue, and Kira, it's really interesting because we have three black men uh, on this show uh, and talking about um, when black officers kill black folk. Now, part of the big discussion in policing, Shaka, and you served as a police officer as well, you mm -hmm. saw the video yes. with the initial stop at the stoplight. Um, the mm -hmm. victim got away. There was the second phone call. They were able to find him there. We see in the video as well a number of body cams, but the most effective view of that incident, in my judgment, was the uh, cameras that were on the poles put there by a county commissioner where we could see it all. That video had no sound, but it needed none, absolutely right. none. 
from an investigative perspective, and you also are a defense attorney, Shaka, what did these individuals do wrong? <laughs> I mean, that's, you see everybody smiling. That's a loaded question, man. Um, when you say these individuals, Frank, are we talking the about officers the officers in particular? The, oh, please. I mean, listen, I mean, and EMTs, what did they do wrong? Matter. Okay, let me answer it this way. It depends on who you ask, right? Because if you ask another police officer what they did wrong, black or white, that answer may be different than the one I'm going to give. So I don't want to suggest that because I am so rife with emotions now based on that question, that the answer is uh, across the board the same, maybe for the guest on the show, but not for every person. If you ask another black police officer or member of law enforcement, sheriff, constable, or what have you, what they did wrong, I can probably tell you that there's a, a hand, there's, there's a portion of that and say, listen, you're not supposed to put your hands on people. What they did was criminal, and I'm not suggesting everyone in law enforcement abides by what we saw. So there's a portion of the of the culture that will say what they did was in fact criminal, and it warrants everything they're receiving right now. But I'm also going to tell you as a member of a previous member of the threat, I will tell you that there's another portion of that population that are also saying the only thing they did wrong was get caught, right? Because there is a, there's a, there's a, the, the Reverend said it, there's a culture, but, but I don't know if we're giving it, it's just due in terms of the weight. That culture is so pervasive. Yeah. A lot of times we cheapen things when we make it, white, black. We cheapen it because it really is not as, it's really not that. It is truly a pervasive police culture that, much like Reverend Anthony said, stems from slavery, that you as an officer, I don't care if you're a Latino, I don't care if you're Native American, I don't care if you're black, you have to buy into if you, if you would plan on achieving success on this job. You just do. That you will be ostracized. You will be. Uh, uh, there will be no promotional opportunities for you. It will not be a career that you excel in, unless you buy into the mindset. So I'm just telling you. So when Reverend Doctor uh, uh, Anthony said, in that moment, in that instance, those folks lost themselves. The only thing I disagree with is that they lost themselves long before we saw them on camera. Yeah. In order to excel in the police department to become part of these specialized units. I'm not talking about just making it from sergeant to detective or that, but I'm talking about going to these specialized units where they expect you to do a little more, the kind of, kind of, you know, they expect you to be a little more rough and tumble and get things done. You have to be a certain, you have to be bred a certain way. They do you think, Shaka, that some of the standing by idly was a part of that? I believe, especially yes. when the EMTs arrived, that they would have intervened, but there was such a sense of hesitancy because they've been there before, they've seen this before, and were afraid to step up and say something is wrong. Doesn't make it right, which made it even more and, and let me be clear, EMTs a lot of times fancy themselves as quasi-law enforcement as well. Let me just be clear. Okay, so yes, they are medical professionals, but they work in such close proximity with uh, who we typically identify as law enforcement, police officers and, and, and the like. They literally consider themselves extensions of the police department. 
So it's not just a fear necessarily. Sometimes it's the same thing that stops a brother officer from saying, hey, oh, oh, that's too much. You're going too far. It's the same thing that stops an EMT or a first responder. Same thing. Kira, you've been with the defender's office. You've been in the courtroom. To Shaka's point, your thought on this issue, and you've represented a number of individuals, um, and you can speak to this topic about that culture and in the courtroom, how to actually prosecute those those individuals in blue. Yeah, so thank you for this. And first of all, what Shaka just said is a very wonderful insider understanding of how things operate. But when you get to the other parts of the justice system, the enabling of some of this behavior becomes just as pervasive as the behavior itself. And so I've represented hundreds of thousands of people over the extent of my career. And, you know, generally the people that come into the court are the ones that actually had something on them or actually, you know, came to be there because of some action. So they're usually less viable to have a claim of the fact that this officer did something wrong to me. But there are thousands of people that don't make it into court where the officer has a negative interaction with them and even exert some physical, uh, you know, a physical um some, some kind of physicality on them, and they never make it into a criminal court because they never did anything illegal. Uh, I will say this, though. Policing and policing culture doesn't just stop with the insiders. It has to start with monitoring police behavior against complaints about those particular officers. I mean, there's a complaint process for a reason, right? We have this complaint process, and it's almost like performative uh, or prophylactic. Yeah, see, we have this process, so therefore we're making sure our, our police department is doing things that exhibits public safety and not you know, abusing authority. But many times these complaints never get answered. They never get reviewed. We also have body cams now, but guess what? Many a times body cams are not reviewed unless someone has a, either a court case or an active court case. You know, if you have complaints about a particular officer, there needs to be someone assigned to reviewing that officer's body cams just to check out what's going on. Or there needs to be some understanding within the department that I'm going to review these body cams now that we're paying for this technology every now and again and not just in, in, in connection with litigation. But lastly, I will say the data tells the story. If you have to make police record, just like they do in Philadelphia now based on a consent decree, record each and every interaction, the reasons why the interaction occurred and the returns on that interaction's investment, meaning did they find something illegal or did they just let the person go, you can start to monitor who is being uh, uh, interacted with in certain areas and what's the return on that investment. Then you start to really see, wait a minute, we're going after the wrong things and calling it public safety. We're selling it to the taxpayers and saying, we need to do this for your safety when actually the data says the dividends are not there. We need a new approach. We need new training to have more effective policing that's commiserate with the times that we're in. And we need to stop exercising these Barney Five tactics that allow some communities to be more disposable to those behaviors. You know, Kira, if I can, and, and I believe it was one of the last times you were on my show, you and you talked about data. I'll come back to you on this. But you had some actual data that shows where half the stops were not contingent upon the number of arrests and the number of, of stops by the police department. Do you have those numbers readily available at this point? Could you give mm -hmm. us those? 
Yes, I have them in my head because we, we created a police accountability unit to review every stop, whether it's motor vehicle or whether it's pedestrian, meaning on the street encounters. And we looked at motor vehicle stops. We reviewed 309,000 car stops to see what was going on. 70%, over 70% were for black drivers. And of those black drivers, 48% were searched and, and, and seized for a while. Of that return on that investment that it took the officers to search cars and seize, seize people for lengthy periods of time, they found something on people 0.17%. That means 99.83% these were otherwise interactions with law-abiding citizens that return nothing on that disruptive investment into their lives. Now, you tell me, is that community policing or not? Because that should be a part of community policing effort, too, not to uh, disturb otherwise law-abiding citizens with a um, not a very auspicious way to say, hey, I think this person is up to something, but the fact that they're driving well, Thank black. you for that. Veron, I'm going to come to you. There's been a conversation, and it always happens, how the black community responds uh, to police violence against citizens, and then the comparison, and again, by even some black writers who say that black folk don't get as upset uh, at the crime that's happening within the black community, but yet get that upset when it is a, when it is a crime of police against citizens. How do you respond to that? Well, first of all, uh, Attorney General Gray sounds really good. Let's start with that. Uh, it, it, it's always good having uh, uh, this kind of dialogue. I think uh, when we had the last discussion, it seems like a year later, we're in the same dynamic. I know that Reverend Anthony sat on the commission to overlook and watch police officers and stops. Uh, uh, more individuals that are engaged in the community need to be a part of those panels because the response is the issue. You wanna know why one community gets one response and one gets the other? Because one community laugh and talk about it and get angry about it and, and maybe protest, but they don't go any further. The other community, they asking for heads. They turning over elections. They pulling people out of office. It's a whole different dynamic. The response goes to the individuals who take it to the perfect, who use the discourse in the streets as a tool to make movement in these political seats. Um, because because as I watched it, um, the, 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 the situation that happened in, in, Tennessee, in Tennessee, what one thing that got me was the police chief who was really energized and making a, a real difference, we should celebrate her for that. But did she sign off on, on the Scorpion police force? I mean, did she sign out on what happened in the streets? It seemed like for police, the answer to black crime is becoming criminal themselves. So, so, so always the answer. And then, you know, I always say, and I know we always talk about how we, you, you can't get past the, the plantation police being the first police and the mentality staying All the right. same. So, so if you're part of the system and you're the, and you're the police chief or you're the commissioner, what's your answer to the real problem of crime? It seems to be go and find some more criminals on the police force and put them in it and then uh, and then and then equip them with the tools to justify their All right, now, let's just to be clear. Um, there's a difference between those people who are responsible for policing the community and, and paid to do so, not to become the criminals within the community, right? Part yes. of the different discussion yeah. between what happens in the neighborhood. And I'm going to start with Reverend Anthony. I want to go around um, the panel. But we do know, and I'm going to be the angel's advocate. I never tried to advocate for the devil. So I'm going to be the angel's right. advocate. But we got folk in the community where you need uh, uh, 
whether it be the gang unit or we need units within the police department that will specifically focus on some of the crime that's happening and very violent crime within communities. Reverend Anthony, I'll start, I'll start with you. How do you even juxtapose uh, the conversation that organizations like, or I should say departments, or initiatives within the departments like Scorpion and Stress and whatever they may be called in cities across the country to deal with the very violent nature in some parts of communities of color? Frankly, uh, frankly, Frankie, uh, there's always going to be a need and a use for undercover units. That's not going to stop. There are units all over the country right now operating. Black people want good policing. We want the police. If I get in trouble, if my house is robbed, I ain't calling y'all. I'm calling the police. <laughs> That's, right. That's their job. And I want it done. But I want good policing. I'm 73 years of age. You look good, when a police Bless you. When a police car pulls up behind me, I'm nervous. Because I don't know what's on their mind. When they get beside me, I roll down my window and say, what's up, y'all? What's going on? I want to let them know I'm watching them as they're looking at me. I should not feel like that. We should not have to have a conversation with our children when they go to the prom, when they go to a party, when they go to visit their boys or their girls down south. Watch out for the police. If they stop you, this is what you do. That's living beneath our privilege. When Kiara talked about the study that they did in Philadelphia, hell, they did the same study in Michigan. The Michigan State uh, University did a study on the Michigan State Police Department and their disparate stops of black people and Latino folk in communities, and they found that they were disproportionately stopping us for nothing. In 2011, in New York, the stop and frisk laws, they stopped 688,000 people, black and Latino. 88% of them were found to do nothing wrong. That's under Giuliani, Giuliani and Bloomberg. Right. We know what's happening here. We want good policing. We tell that. One of the reasons that it did not explode in Memphis was because the chief ex disclosed what was happening. Fired the people, got in front of the folk, even though she had helped set up the, un the, the, the unit. And she disbanded it. Let's do it and let's do it right. We can do better than this. You got to be open. You got to be clear with the community. You got to be upfront. You don't wait and defend the police and say, well, we can't talk to you. That creates mistrust. Be open. We need a national database so that we can track police. We need bias, implicit and explicit training. We need them to be brought in for emotional trauma because police can get crazy being out there shooting folk and making these runs on a day-to-day -day basis. We need to know who is training who is training the police? Are black people training? Do they come in our community to learn the mores and folk ways of how we deal with from a cultural basis? Are we just hiring police officers from suburban communities who ain't never encountered black people other than on TV sets? Right. These are factors that go into this. And when a police has been found to do something wrong, 
fire his butt and don't hire him in another city so he can do the same All right. thing. If we implement some of that stuff, we can we got some do the George Floyd justice and police. All right, matter. great. That's Listen, so on the back of that, Kira, I'm gonna start with you and I'm gonna ask two questions and, and Shaka, I want you to follow up with this. But Kira, I'm gonna start with you. The police chief in Memphis was credited, and attorney Crump said that now we have a roadmap for how it should be done. If these five officers within a week can be investigated, removed, and charged. That this is the roadmap. I want you to respond to that. And Shaka, as a defense attorney and preparing about moving forward, because each of these defendants have been quiet as I don't know if y'all have mice at uh, Fellowship Chapel, but church mice. <laughs> They've been quiet, <laughs> Reverend Anthony. Um, no, no, we used to, but we. Your church is but he joined the church. church so y'all have prayed him up out of there. But Kara, I want to start with you. You know, did the police chief do it right? Is it a roadmap? And Shaka, because as we prepare, because that was part one, they, the father and the mom, God bless them, asked for peace and calm, which happened. But there's a trial coming. What we, Shaka, could ex expect uh, moving forward. So here, I'll start with you. Yeah. So I think uh, uh, Attorney Crump is correct. This is a model as to how one can look at evidence objectively, see what they see and say, this is not indicative of the police department that I want to per perpetuate. And what they saw, they knew they had a person that died at the hands of these officers. She saw the video, so her lying eyes could not fool her and said, look, this is something that I cannot tolerate. So this is going to be gone. The district attorney then looked at the same information and evidence juxtapose it to their written report, which really didn't jive with the actual video yeah. footage, and said, what you did here was criminal. Now, we didn't see that in the Derek Chauvin case. We saw, we saw with our lying eyes, I guess, a person putting a knee on someone's neck where he's saying, I can't breathe, when other people are saying, let up, he can't breathe. And we knew that he died during that encounter, but it took months upon months to make an indictment here. And we're not talking about, you know, a conviction. So what, one of the things that I, I, I have a hard time with is the fact that there's such, there's such a slow road to indicting people of stature because we give them all this mitigation on the front end. When really, you indict people based on probable cause. That does not mean beyond a reasonable doubt evidence. That means I am building my case, but at this moment, I have a probable cause basis and reason to bring you into this systems process. And I think that the, what we saw there with these black officers should apply across the board when there's wrongdoing. Right. Chaka Amen. Johnson, as a defense attorney, uh, it's been quite quiet. Um, and here's the situation... Yeah where normally, uh, where we have seen many national cases, there were white officers involved in the death sure. of a black citizen. Here we have black yeah. officers who primarily lived in the black community, belong to black mm -hmm. organizations. I'm not going to go sure. there. I just want all my D9 all folks right. to know. Um, belong to black organization, went to the local high school, and, and this yeah. is a different level of pressure. Not one family member has spoken out. Not any uh, uh, relative or anyone has spoken out. As a defense attorney, in, in your estimation, your thought, yes. if they were your client, mm -hmm. what do you think these attorneys are talking to their clients about? Or what would be your strategy? 
Well, I tell you, well, it depends on, there's levels of culpability, right? Everyone is wrong in this. Let me just be, let me just say that flat out. Everyone's wrong. But if you are wise, you start to create a hierarchy of wrongness, right? In terms of there are some people more culpable and prayerfully you represent the person who's perhaps less culpable. Do you represent the person who stood on the side and said nothing? Do you represent the person who did one hit? Do you represent the person who took the baton to the gentleman's head over and over? There's levels of wrongness and now you have to start to, there's some shifting of uh, uh, overall responsibility. That's just lawyering, right? I mean, that's just, that's what it is. Do I personally believe that? Absolutely not. But I'm just telling you, that is what the discipline calls for. That's what the discipline calls for. Do I believe that in this particular case? No, I don't. Because whether you, let me tell you, in policing, it's called the tune-up, right? It's called a tune-up. Anybody who runs from you, uh, takes you on a car chase, uh, does anything other than immediately submit to your verbal command, it's a tune-up. That's what it's called, Okay. So the longer we have to run, chase you through the woods, run through back alleys, you got to know when we catch you, you're getting tuned. That's mm-hmm. what it's called. Slave okay? patrol. That's yeah. what it's called. Right. right. Okay. So this gentleman who did exactly that, he left, he left, they found him a little bit later, etc. Everybody coming to that event later, everybody coming to that scene was getting their piece of the tuna. Everybody was getting their piece of the tuna. And now he's dead. And now he's dead. And some people went way too far or mm-hmm. maybe went as far as they normally go, right? Except now it was multiple officers at one time. Defending this is going to be an exercise in probably who gets to the prosecutor first, um, who's going to be starting to make some deals and talk about cooperation. And I tell you, I would like to see in this particular case, a prosecutor say, yeah, I don't need no deal. I don't, I don't need any help. Right. The video speaks for itself. I've got all the help I need. So cutting you some slack and cutting, you know, uh, officer one, some slack for testifying against officer five. Don't need it. I'd like to see everybody get just do right. Carrie, you Let say? Me, can I just say this? Can I jump in real quickly? I want to see some deals. Here's why. Because I want to, you know, people start singing once they see those numbers about uh, with respect to homicide. And now I bet you there's going to be some interesting information, revealing information about that police culture that allowed this to happen coming from the person who thought he had the lowest amount of culpability. Mm. And that's when you start to get the real information about what's going on there. Right. And I mean, you know, look, that doesn't mean that people don't get the punishment they deserve. But I'm telling you, like I, Shaka, you and I have sat with many people who start, when they start seeing those numbers stack up, they start singing like canaries. Yeah. And now it's about, well, I'm going to tell you, the police department's had these issues and I've raised them, you know, several times and they've done nothing. And right. this is what happens here. And this is what happens. Right. You're going to start to get a good bird's eye view of the culture. Especially, of especially, especially the culture of a unit like the Scorpion unit. Most of the, most police departments, especially in the major metropolis, have these specialized units. In Philadelphia, we have the Highway Patrol. They've got yeah. the Scorpion unit, right? The units that are sort of, they just, they just left to their devices a little bit more, you know, just produce numbers for us. We'll supervise you a little bit more loosely. We won't, you know, you guys don't have body-worn cameras, you know, that, that kind of thing. Whereas a normal patrolman may, we have specialized units who produce numbers. They get us stats so we can take for more federal funding. You, you know what's interesting? What's interesting, listening to uh, Kira and listening to Shaka, um, 
you, you know, I think both can be too. I, if, I'm, if you're a defense attorney and you're defending one of these guys, you're trying to, you know, uh, set the framework of Shakistead. Uh, but as a society, we want somebody to tell. Because, because I believe it's beyond the unit. I believe the unit was an answer and is the, always the immediate answer, big four stress to black folk being out of control. I believe the answer, the internal conversation is uh, let people do what they want to do. And if that's the issue, the issue goes back to the top of the police department. It goes back to the structure. And if we don't change the structure, none of this changed. We're going to put all these officers in jail, and I guarantee you in a few months we'll hear another right. incident. We're hearing, that's how we've been hearing incidents, time after time and time again. And, and I don't care if they could get 50 years apiece. That's not going to stop this pervasive culture that still thinks if I got a problem in black America, that's a hard issue in Tennessee in, in, in terms of the gang culture and so forth. But their answer to that isn't more resources. It isn't open the community centers you closed. It ain't, it's not doing any of the after school programs you closed. No, because that costs money. What the real answer is, go get a bunch of thugs and let them be the bigger gang in that community. And if that's the continued answer from Dallas to Detroit to, to Tennessee, that's where we need to deal with as a community. And, and we can't pass the George Floyd Act. We can't pass the, the John Lewis Act. We seem to be stuck in this quagmire of really don't do nothing and just see what happens. And so I, I just believe getting to someone to squeal and maybe we get more of that, we can find out where this is coming from. But it's deeper than it You know, I've often said as well, until police, 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 right? We're going to continue, and they hold each other accountable, which is clearly shocking. You mentioned it earlier, which is something within the culture they just don't do. Reverend Anthony, as we get ready to wrap up, can't believe it's almost been one hour already. How do you get pulled over? And Shock, I'm going to come to you uh, as well with, you know, because you talk about how and what is the best ways to deal with being pulled over by police. Because let's, let's just have this, add this to the, con the, the conversation. If you know you're riding dirty, I'm just talking about on some, some incidents, incidences, if your driver's license is suspended, you don't have car insurance, a traffic stop should not end your life. And in terms of training, Reverend Anthony, you mentioned it, is six weeks, eight weeks training enough for, quite, for, quite frankly, a young individual straight out of college, they don't have law degrees, but they implement the law and can have you incarcerated for the rest of your life with six weeks training in law no. enforcement. So first of all, Reverend Anthony, I want to start with no. you. How do you, how okay. should you, and what do you do? And, and, and especially as the NAACP, and you guys have been dealing with these issues historically, dealing with this kind of uh, abuse as it relates to the conversation we're having today about police officers and policing. It has to be consistent, Frankie. No, it's not enough. Police officers, like other folk, need to be brought in and checked regularly. They, might, they perhaps need a, a yearly or certainly a two-year check mentally, emotionally, for their bias in a number of areas. They need to be uh, particularly sought out in terms of who we are actually recruiting for these jobs. And the training needs to be done by people who are impacted by their service, not by officers who, in fact, create the problem. I mean, this stuff goes back, um, Shaka and Kira from Philadelphia.
Hell, this goes back to Rizzo. Yes, sir. Rizzo was a thug. Mm-hmm. They know it. I mean, he, yeah. he, he had his name was Rizzo, but he was Scorpion. <laughs> I mean, it goes back to John Nichols in Detroit. He was a thug. I'm talking about police chiefs. I'm talking about mayors. Yeah. People who fostered this. So the John Lewis, the uh, George Floyd Justice and Policing Act is not an end off. Right. It's a starter. It helps to bring about a national database. It helps to deal with qualified immunity, which they hide behind. It helps to deal with training. It helps to deal with an... We had the Kerner Report 60 years ago that gave us the blueprint for what we're dealing with today. They told us about diversity on police departments. They told us about openness. They told us about representation. They told us about... Everything we're discussing right now, mm-hmm. Otto Kerner and that commission right. dealt with over 60 years ago. The problem is we have not implemented. And until we have people in elective office, and until we put people in the right positions, we're going to be here again. Deron talked about a couple of months from now. Hell, I'm concerned about all the people mm-hmm. that have been abused and been killed that ain't been on camera, mm-hmm. that we never see. And the only reason we saw them was because somebody filmed it. The only reason we saw George Floyd was because somebody filmed it. Nice. What about all the people that's not filmed? And, I'm, and I am tired of living beneath our privilege. Your children, your daughters, Frankie, our sons, daughters, nieces, nephews should not be forced to live beneath their privilege. They should be able to walk and talk and ride and play and do everything that everybody else kids done without having to be schooled about how to deal with people that are supposed to be taking care of you as opposed to people who are wow. killing you. Thank you for that, Reverend Anthony. Shaka, on, on that point, and here we are, Reverend Anthony, mm. asking a former mm. police officer, what are the best practices when they get pulled over? I tell you this, I call it <clears throat> surviving the event. I call it surviving the event. And to Reverend Anthony's point, it is almost, it's disgusting that I, we have to have this conversation about survival. I can assure you, um, my neighbors, uh, none of whom uh, in my immediate wingspan, not three to the right, not three to the left, are, are, are black. They're not having this conversation with their kids about right. make sure if you get stopped on the way home, like Reverend Anthony industry, you put your head, they're not having these conversations. They may be having other survival conversations about other things, right? About, you know, taking pills, whatever, whatever other parental conversations they have. But the one they're not having is when local law enforcement stop you, you may end up dead. That's a conversation that skips over their house. To the extent we have to come up with this program and this dialogue is a pit in my stomach. It's called, I call it, surviving the event. And just for starters, right, just for starters, an appetizer, a teaser, is I call officers by their name. They have a badge. I call them by their name. It automatically, proverbially, disarms them, right, because it lets them know this person is, he he reads, right, he reads. And I don't mean reads like I can, you know, enunciate vowels and consonants. I mean, he knows to look at my badge and address me by name. So if I do anything less than kill him, he has my name. Right? He has my name. I think it's also a very good idea to pay attention 
to rank if you if you can manage that as well as know the difference between uh, the different variations of law enforcement of state trooper if you say trooper marshal responds differently than if you say officer right because officer is a little bit pedestrian we just all kind of say it when you can start to delineate between trooper marshal officer etc i'm telling you the officers you're, you're speaking in their language and they're processing that data like oh oh okay I, you know, this is this is. I, I might want to govern myself with this person. Mm-hmm. I think it's offensive that at, at at almost half a century, I am as nervous as my senior. I'm as nervous as 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 this gentleman here who has uh, come all through the civil rights movement and et cetera. I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm as nervous as he is. I'm as nervous as as he is, and and I know how to survive these events. I've been surviving them, right? But I still, oh boy, who can I call and put it on mute? Man, who could I put it on speaker? Who can I like the fact that you have to have these conversations, right? You know, um, um, it, it, it's just no other race, maybe except Latinos in certain parts of the, the country, will understand what that is like the trauma that is weaved right. in to have yes. to think of who can I. I swear to you, hear these words right here. Listen to this. Ask. Black men, go to a barbershop, go to a conference, stop at a Piggly Wiggly, go to, to Kentucky Fried Chicken. Piggly Ask Piggly. any regular black person that you meet, black man. I would say between, oh shit, the Reverend is 73 years old, so ask anyone. And I'm telling you, more, if you, out of a group of 10, more than half will tell you these words, Frankie. Sometimes we think who I call during a traffic stop may be the last person wow. I talk to. Mm-hmm. Wow. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes we think that. So this ain't yeah. about just calling like a coworker. It's like I gotta call somebody important enough yeah. that if this go left, right. this is it for me. You don't even understand the the weight of that. I, I don't even know if I'm doing it justice trying to explain it to you. Yeah. There is a is a is a is a is a legal giant, but she. I don't know if y'all women understand. What sometimes Whoa. black men have to wear in the moment—it is I'll a weight that is. But maybe Sorry. my last, maybe my last call, maybe this is it. Yeah. Because I ran a stop sign. Chaka, I'm gonna say this: uh, we women have sons, and so uh, for my son, who is my heartbeat, I understand the weight of that. I have what what I've made him do in taking his driver's license photo is taking it in a suit and and, and a shirt and tie. Just so when they see his photo, they know that you're not dealing with someone who's just a hoodie dude, right? Right. Uh, But also, I'm just saying, moving forward, because this is, you're you're giving me goosebumps and saying what you're saying because it's so real and people are getting a taste of our world Mm -hmm. by little glimpses of these things. But I'll say this, Frankie, moving forward, we can't keep having this same conversation for decades. We need to start going through an audit of police departments and looking at their major crime initiatives, matching it up to figure out whether or not is public safety going down or are you justifying, as the ends justifying the means so that you have a bullhorn and continue to say, see, you're not safe. I've got to put on the pressure and keep the pressure on so that we're not creating politically expedient communities at the hands of justifying an institution that wants to stay valid because they're fooling us about what we need. 
Stop selling me hoop dreams of public safety and give me public safety for all communities. And that's only going to happen when the Department of Justice, the Attorney General's office from different states, if they have the authority, goes in and audits some of these major crime initiatives of, uh, as opposed to the data and also the complaints that come through there. And I bet you you'll find some of these reports don't coincide with the body cams. And that was evident today in Memphis where the reports contradicted what we saw uh, on video. And of course, they did not expect that the two would come to such public scrutiny. Kira, I'm going to start with you. Your closing comments, if you can give it to me in 60 seconds of what you want the audience to know. I'll go to Deron, Shaka, then we'll close with Reverend Anthony. Yeah. I want us to get more uh, collaborative. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you start with me? I want us to get more collaborative at different people with all levels of government that can help us understand what's happening police. We saw in Philadelphia the the uh, the, the, um, the the finance uh, person, I'm sorry I'm calling her, but she did an audit on the police department spending and what's happening. That was step one. But we need two, three, and four with all different levels that can go in and take a look at who's supervising, who's reviewing things, who's watching data, and who's looking for early warnings. That has to happen. All right. Attorney Kira Bradford Gray, thank you so much for joining us. Deron Marshall. Well, you know, this is a a great discussion. Reverend Anthony just laid something on my heart when he said, uh, you know, we really don't have, you know, two months and and two weeks. And, you know, so to the degree that, you know, activists speak about how to change the system, I think we still need to make sure that fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers are still telling their grandkids and sons and daughters how to survive the stop, what, what, to, what to do if you feel like you have been treated unfairly, how to contact the police station. Like in the meantime, while we activate and try to pass bills that may take forever to get passed, we still need to know how to come home. We need Sandra Bland to have come home. We need so many other black folk and Hispanic folk who end up just, you know, may, maybe just irritating someone to be able to make the, to, to, to pass the stop, as Shaka said, and come home. So in the meantime, let's get better at communicating to our young people how to survive the stop and how to humanize the officer. All right. when they approach. Attorney Shaka Johnson, thank you so much for that, Duran. You know, I, I just I would like to see those in the legal profession. Um, this is what we meant, right? This case is is horrible. It is horrible. It's a tragedy of unspeakable uh, proportions. But the fact that they were black officers, I think, will ultimately will ultimately help this process that we're discussing because this is not a white and black situation and this proves that we have been talking about the psychology of policing for a long time and it's just in sort of uh you know a philanthropic way just talking about it but then when we really dive in we dive in on what the media sensationalizes they sensationalize the white versus black so we jump on that bandwagon white versus black White officer shoots black man. We, we jump on that. But that is the low-hanging fruit. And I want us to recognize that as a, as a country, as a people, that's the low-hanging fruit. There is a problem in policing at its core. It is, right. In its marrow, there is a problem with it. This 
just like the Reverend Doctor said, came to light because there was some video. But I am telling you that I policed over two decades ago. And I am telling you that the misappropriations that happened with the white boys happened with the black boys too, okay? The, those who was taking money, the white boys, black boys taking money too. They, they were all doing the same thing, right? It wasn't, so I don't, when we, when we slim it down, to race, not suggesting, let me be very clear, not suggesting that race is not still very palpable, because it is, it 100% is, but I don't want to let black officers off the hook, uh, I don't want to let black law enforcement general off the hook, they are all responsible for, like you said, policing one another, and we as a community should hold them all to this, black officers and white, it's the same, the same, hold them to the exact same standard. I thank you so much, Reverend Dr. Wendell Anthony. Thanks, Frankie. And, and I agree with what everybody has said. I couldn't have said it better. I would simply say this, Frankie. The question is, do we have the will to make these changes? And we got to persevere. And we got. I want everybody to understand, police, community, all of us. Policing is what you do with the community, not mm. what you do to a community. Silence on these matters is not golden. It emboldens the twins' evils of tyranny and treachery. Whether you like it or not, black lives do and must matter. America, you have a problem. Does it matter enough for you to fix it? I thank you so much. Reverend Dr. Wendell Anthony, Attorney Kira Bradford Gray, Deron Marshall, Attorney Shaka Johnson, thank each of you so much for joining us. And of course, you know, throughout the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about this. And um, when, of course, we talked about uh, throughout the show, there's a trial, possibly. There may be some um, negotiations back and forth, but that's coming too. And they have to go to court. We have no idea how that part is going to play out. We don't. We don't know what will uh, uh, un unravel. So clearly we'll be covering this and other topics. And I thank each of you for joining us uh, for this discussion. I also want to make sure for those who are watching to join me uh, on the iHeartRadio app, I thank everyone at the Black Information Network and, of course, Real Times Media, the Michigan Chronicle, the New Pittsburgh Carrier, the Atlanta Daily World, and the Chicago Defender, who are also covering Frankie's Got a Big Mouth on this podcast each and every other week. Make sure that you come back, find us, and you can also find us on YouTube. To each of my guests and to each of you watching and listening, I thank you for joining me. Say goodbye, everybody. See you later. Thanks so much, Frankie. Thank you. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.